everybody. Welcome to the Patty G Show. I am your host, Patty G. We are here with Logan Moe of Mallard Bay Outdoors. We're going to talk a little outdoors, a little hunting, a little fishing, a little Airbnb action happening within their um, company, as well as some social media tips and tricks. And we're going to get down to business about starting a brand here locally, what all it takes, how far they've come, where they're going, and more importantly, just the great outdoors of our great state, Louisiana. And before we get to them, I want to give a big shout out to our wonderful sponsors making this happen. We are in the Falaya Focus Studio recording this show as we do every week. And big thanks to our lovely friends over at Government Taco and Horizon Wealth Management Group. Stick around to hear a little bit more about all of them at the end of the show. Without further ado, Logan, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, Patty. I appreciate it. Glad we could have you on. Glad we made this work. <laughs> yes. We've uh, we've talked a lot about doing podcasts before over lunch and drinks and your ideas around it, but we're here to talk more importantly about what's on your shirt, man. Mallard Bay Outdoors. Yes. What is it, and who the heck are you? So, my name is Logan Mo. I'm a, a just new graduate from LSU, a finance major. Uh, I started Mallard Bay, which is a marketplace for booking guided hunting and fishing trips. We help sportsmen connect with outfitters. Um, they transact and book all on our platform, similar look and feel to Airbnb. And and so, you know, we're really trying to take the hunting and fishing industry by storm and start it, you know, right here in Baton Rouge. I love that. So you, did you hire the the, the creators and develop team from Airbnb? How close <laughs> is it to the original Airbnb app? No, so so haven't haven't hired any anybody from Airbnb directly. I Snag your CTO. Don't, definitely don't th- <laughs> definitely don't think we could afford that. But um, no, so I actually met my co-founder uh, Tam Win, who um, is uh, originally from Vietnam, moved over here, went to school at Ole Miss, connected with him when I had the idea for Mallard Bay and my the way my my dad had started waiter and the way he went about it was he went out and just emailed professors um and was like hey we're we're, we're trying to start something up need some developers so i kind of went that route with it and luckily i was able to connect with him so you used all that through like lsu or were you looking out at ole miss no so actually it was through a mutual friend um that we got connected and i was trying to have a couple people like bid i mean not like kind of bid but you know to do the to do the development work and also be a co-founder had kind of had some missteps with co-founders before but then once i found tam i realized he was kind of like the most skilled person that i had talked to and so when i realized that some other people couldn't kind of live up to that um i went with him and and so it was me and him for a, a while gotcha and so you said you've had some some mishaps with co-founders before is this your first entrepreneurial step or have you had some past life experience no so this this is my first real venture myself um and the 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 missteps i talk about is really with mallard bay is is i've learned a lot from starting mallard bay um and you know the way mallard bay started all kind of came from a bad experience that i had with an outfitter so i tried to plan a surprise trip for my dad and for his birthday and it was in oklahoma we go out to oklahoma didn't go very well did no. they not have your like name on the reservation? Or? Yeah, well, I think he did. He took it the booking all over text, and we just kind of didn't connect very well, I guess. And we only got one hunt out of three. It was a whole tobacco, really. And uh, so at that point, I was kind of like, there's got to be a better way to do this. There's got to be a better way to connect outfitters and sportsmen. And what better way to do that than providing the same type of experience like Airbnb? Right, because I know that like that's not uncommon to book 
hunts and fish fishing trips that way. Like I've booked several offshore fishing trips down in Grand Isle, and that's the way it's booked. I call call up the captain. Hey, do you have these dates available? Yep, I've got them available, Patty. Like, when do you want to come? I says I want to come this date. I'll shoot you a text. Great. Here's the link to pay, and we pay. And then day week before, he texts me. Hey, you you still on? We still good? I'm like, yeah, we're good. You know. Or if something happens, hey, can't make it. But it's all done through text and phone call. Like, there is no, I at least I, I'm sure there's something, like yeah. fishingbooker.com yeah, or right. something like yes. that. But, like, down here, that's what we're used to is that phone call, that text message. Hey, I want to go, like, even for duck hunting, hey, call up the guide you used once and say, hey, I want to go through and have another trip with you this year. So what kind of made, I mean, outside of the that single trip, I mean, was it really that bad that that one trip set it off? Or, like, have you kind of seen in this industry there's just a missing piece connecting sportsmen with outfitters? Yeah, so it, it really, I mean, to your question, it was that the missing piece, the communication, the, the haggling back and forth? It was really all about trying to make it easier and faster. Because once we did the, you know, customer discovery research, um, going out and talking to sportsmen, going and talking to outfitters, you know, definitely experiencing a lot of like, oh, that's never going to work, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. Like, you know, and you have these older guys. Well, in you're, the industry. you're changing their mojo. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it's a completely different business model than they're used to because um, the the way it goes before is like if you weren't doing it all yourself over text and call or have a secretary do it for you, you're basically um, outsourcing it to a booking agent. And that booking agent is taking 15 to 20 percent off the top and basically making their money off of you and your your services that you're offering. So they're like upcharging for the service. Yes, and, and our, our business model is to work with the outfitters, work directly with the outfitters, be their business partners, and really make that relationship, you know, really strong, and then kind of go from there. So like y'all's, your, your pricing model, if we can get into it, is based mm -hmm. off of the total package there's no like if i go to check out from booking a trip there's no going to be you know mallard bay fees well there is a service fee so it's okay. not there's no service fee it's very low service fee compared to like what you would pay on airbnb or anything like that um mm -hmm. but we actually we actually have outfitters that choose to pay the fee themselves and so there are some outfitters that are on, on our platform that you won't see a fee um because they're oh, actually so they have the option yes so the okay. outfitter has the option to pay um pay the fee so if they want to kind of put that because i feel like that from an outfitter's perspective, is more of a prestige, higher-end experience. They don't want you to see, like, you don't want to be looking at your hunting bill and it look like your phone bill, right? <laughs> you just want to see one one flat fee, I'm paying this much, and you're divvying up however it's supposed to be divvied up. It's right. simple, it's easy, and you can execute with a click of a button. Yeah, exactly. And the, and the way that it was done before, like, something like us existed was, you know, the it's like send a check in the mail. Like, it's uh, oh, pay on site pay, with pay, PayPal. Yeah, PayPal, Venmo, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, we can actually, as a technology company, integrate with a lot of those platforms to offer different payment solutions. But we use Stripe. Um, Stripe is, is a very powerful tool for us to use. All the money gets deposited directly in the Outfitters Bank account. You know, we don't have to really touch it. Um, and it's all automated on that front. So they get their money within two days of the booking. You can pay 50% deposit up front, or you can just pay it all in full. And then what about for a tipping option towards the end? Because I know a lot of a lot of trips, that's generally customary to tip either the guide or the deckhand if you're going fishing. Absolutely. So there's no way right now to tip after the hunt, but you can actually tip before the hunt. So we have like a tip option on Mallard Bay, like add a tip. Mm -hmm. And so we do it that way. But we are going to add post-hunt tipping um, as well as post-fishing trip tipping 
right. that's important because we want to take care of our guides. And Yeah, I mean, and they want to make sure, especially because, like, you could almost, and I'm sure you've already got this set up, is blended in as, like, a, a, a review, rate and review feature as well. So get a push notification from the app or get a text notification. Hey, how was your trip? We know... You know, if, if the, the algorithm shows that your trip is supposed to be ended, done by noon, you get a text at 1230. Hey, how was your trip? You know, rate it. Do you want to tip the guide anymore? Yeah. Do all this from a push notification or a text. Yeah, exactly. And that's where the mobile app kind of comes into play um, and, and is why we're launching our mobile app before the start of next season. So right now we're kind of moving into fishing season. Um, oh, so it's not a mobile app right now. It's not just yet. a website. Not yet. It's okay. just a mobile app. I was about I mean, to say, it's, it's going to be. The mobile app's app. like the, the thing, yes, right? Yes, right. Well, and also one of the things that we're realizing is that, you know, for our business, you know, the mobile app is important and we're working on the mobile app, but we, we realize a booking widget as well for integrating directly with the Outfitters website yeah. can drive a lot of business for us in general. Because if we can capture the Outfitters leads um, that they, they send to us and it's like, hey, it's easier for people to book through Mallard Bay for us. So they send our link out, you book through Mallard Bay. But, you know, like I said, we're working on those simultaneously. Right, so is that so the way it works now is like an outfitter has their site pulled up and you just have a book now widget that redirects to your site that's filled with their calendar of available dates? Yes, so the way we do it now is there's a button and it links to their listing on Mallard Bay. You can either okay. go on Mallard Bay and find it that way or you can go through their website and find it. Now, not every the reason why we have to build in a specific booking widget is because it was actually not take them off of the Outfitter website onto Mallard Bay. So it'll be a little different. Okay, so it's integrated into their site. Yeah. It's not, you're not going to have a new tab open up. Right. It's just going to be like another landing page. Almost. Yes. Okay. Very cool. That's so an additional product that we're doing. Right. Is that available now? No, it's not. Okay, but that's the game plan. Yes. So what does the process look like now from start to finish for the sportsman's experience? So... For, for the sportsman, uh, if you respond to one of our ads on Facebook, you will be in a queue with people that are our sales guys, and they're going to try to match you up with the trip that you're looking for. Um, on a personal level, they'll connect with you. Say, it's like a dating site for, yeah, right. <laughs> for, for, sports, for sports people. And then also, also, we have regular website traffic that we drive, and you can go on Mallard Bay, search by state or species, find the, the available dates you're looking for. You see the price. You see the information, all the like everything that you need to make a decision. And if you do want to talk to somebody, we're there to talk to you. But um, otherwise, you make your booking. You request a book. Now, this prevents any double booking on the Outfitter side. You request a book. Outfitter has to accept your request for money to be transferred at all. Um, and so normally, within the time where they're requesting and then connecting, um, it's kind of like we're going to let the Outfitter and you connect and, and discuss. And okay, so, But it's all going to be through the Mallard Bay platform. Yes. yes. Okay, so it's, it's all, not going to be you know, separation from Mallard Bay to then go talk with them. It's all through mm -hmm. the Mallard Bay. Yes, absolutely. Run. Okay, so what was it like getting these outfitters to sign up initially? I mean, <laughs> getting that first one is always the hardest. Oh, man. Yeah, it was It was definitely just a couple guys that really took chances on us. Um, you know, outfitters with really nothing, nothing to lose. Just, hey, you know, I think that this is the way the industry is going. And this is the way it's going to be in the future. Like, you know, it's not going to stay, um, you know, using your paper calendar or, or booking that way, like forever. Right. So they really had to innovate a little bit. And so, you know, you have one or two or three that that say, like, hey, this is, you know, we're going to we're going to use this. We're going to really take the time to invest. And then once they started doing that, they started to see the value they're putting out to sportsmen. And, and you know, since then, you know, we started October with 
10 outfitters or so. And from then we're, you know, just over 60 now. And so that's and impressive. So, and then across how take, many states? That's who across 12 to 15 states. Now we're in Mexico and Canada. So um, you're going, you're going international now. Yeah. The, well, when the hunting worldwide, wherever the good hunting is, is where we're going to be. Right. Makes I mean, sense. we focused on very, you know, five markets for, for this waterfowl season, which was like Southwest Louisiana, Midwest, like mid, mid Arkansas, um, Stuttgart area, um, South Texas, like deer hunting, um, Amarillo, which is like North, Northwest Texas, um, in, uh, Goose hunting and duck hunting, and so and crane hunting as well. Sandhill cranes. I don't know if you. No, I, my my uncle does a lot of sandhill crane hunting. <laughs> it's one. It's one of those species. Like, yeah, I want to go and do that one day. Oh yeah, no, I I have not. I have not yet got to do it, but we do have the outfitter out there to do it. It sounds like we need so. a media production day. Yeah, it sounds like we need to look into that <laughs> next November. You know, just hey, November's coming up. Look, my kid turns one, maybe his first birthday. <laughs> Take him sandhill crane hunting. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I was I was in the blind at five. So okay, you got some time. So he's got he's got some time. I guess I guess I'm yeah. I mean, hey, the earlier the better, though. I mean, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so in doing that and talking to these outfitters, um, what was it like getting your name out there from the back end? Like, how did you get the name out there so much so that you're able to promise a return for the outfitters? That that's a great question. Um, really, our our social media presence on Instagram has you know exploded in the last six months um that's a combination of people that we're working with um you know agencies that are helping us run our 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 instagram and then also internally us figuring out like hey this is the content that you know we want people to see um and so you know we've grown our instagram over the last few months five thousand followers you know so and then you know we went we started off with like nothing and and now we're kind of now we're kind of cruising with that. So we get leads. It's a very good social proof aspect of it. Right. So you're, the bulk of your marketing, if not all of it, sounds like it is just straight social media. Yes. I mean, however, we are we are now transitioning to, to doing some na- national TV advertising um, through the Louisiana Outdoor Adventures show. So what's, what's the decision like there to make the shift? Well, it's not, it's not, a, it's not, a, uh, it's not an or thing. It's an and thing. So why, okay, so then why add TV on? Well, demographic. Okay. The older demographic. Okay. Higher income demographic. Um, you know, we, we want to make sure that we have a presence across, you know, all platforms, even if it's, you know, national TV advertising, you know, that's important to us because, you know, unless they wouldn't have approached me like with a good deal. For, yeah, for doing say, it, that, that's it, it, a it's whole a lot, lot more, more expensive. Like if you, well, if, if you think about it, it's a lot more lucrative than you think um, in, in terms of the upfront investment. And then what you get out of it is, you know, product placement and different things too. Um, but, you know, it's a similar advertising model to like kind of what you do with the podcast. Yeah, I guess. So you're you're advertising certain shows or are you just running ads during the show? So the, yeah, it'll be ads during the actual show. Okay. Um, it's just a TV, regular TV ad. But, uh, I haven't watched regular TV in like right. years. Yeah. But yeah, I, I understand the the concept there. So I don't know, I just feel like TV when you're doing it when you're crushing on social media, like making the shift to TV, mm-hmm. it's like so like why why make why add on TV if social media is killing it, I guess. Right. Well, you know, the the thing about TV is it's gonna be hard to measure. So it's all it's very learning. like you it's can a, measure everything in process. social. Right. Yeah, no, you can measure every single little metric down to like 
the uh, the T. And the thing with the TV advertising is really all about brand. We're just trying yeah. to put our brand out there, you know, help people understand, tell the story of Mallard Bay, um, and and really just kind of, I mean, take a chance on doing something that you know, only because of our target demographic is possible. Because like you know, someone like you wouldn't necessarily you wouldn't want to advertise on TV because you know you're not advertising to you're not trying to get 55 45 to 55 60 year olds to like try to book a hunt online like makes it easier for them to do it maybe they get back into it Um, but there's a large portion of the hunting demographic that is not um, that is like 15 years away from just being completely out the game so there's a you you, we want to target those people before they're trying to get out of the you know the industry before they're maybe too old that sort of thing well that makes and that makes sense you know, getting them and showing them a different way of booking than they maybe have done in the past. Maybe they're used to that phone call, that text way of booking, or maybe they weren't even sure how in the world they could book a hunt to begin with. And you're giving them a platform of, hey, log on your computer, your phone, your app soon. Like now you can book it and now you can do it by species. Maybe it is more intriguing to them because they're used to Googling, you know, elk hunts here. You know, yeah, it, it's a, it, starting at Google is a very complicated complicated place to start it's where everybody mostly starts so like we will try to rank for and there's like six the first six posts are all sponsored posts so it's like what do you know is really organic other than somebody who can pay more for that search word right no i mean that that that's a huge part of our strategy too is seo and and moving into that as well it's not as important for i mean it's important for us because we're a website still as well and we're actually doing transactions to the website so our content on our website has to be like really good to rank for seo now you can do pay-per-click advertising, which we don't necessarily do like yet. We're we're not like really tapping that out. And, you know, mainly the reason for that is is that we're just still trying to keep our feet on the ground with in terms of handling what we got. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to you don't want to grow too fast yeah, and not yeah. be able to support everybody's demand. Yeah. Well, I mean, that you don't want to provide a bad experience. And then kind of what I was gonna say before that was, you know, getting people back into the industry, people that have, you know, realized like, hey, it's way too expensive for me to go out and do this stuff by myself. You know, I, I can't, you know, lease the land. I can't do all that. Like, it's just too much work. This is a way easier and actually cheaper way to to connect and do that experience, you know, once, twice, three times a year that you want to do and even have more success at it. Yeah, you're able to really make sure, like Airbnb's model is they're all about that experience, right? They want to come in, make sure that you're not just staying in a hotel room. You're staying for an experience. Yes, and now you give the ability to the guides and the owners of the of the outfitters to really provide that experience to the consumer. Yep, you hit it right there, nail on the head. I mean, it it, it is great for us to be able to rely on, on on a good outfitter that is like used to providing the experience and giving them way more time to focus on that. Um, yeah, whether don't worry about a, booking. Yeah, exactly. Because that I had a friend who used to run deep sea charters out of Grand Isle. And he said he would spend 85% of his time on the phone with booking potential customers, talking with different customers who were calling them, asking them questions, dealing with people who left their sunglasses, <laughs> left a rod, left a shirt, like just dealing with all of that headache. They, by the time that they were on the boat heading out, they like their phone was still nonstop ringing. They're nonstop dealing with that aspect of it that sometimes you can flack 
in the actual experience of what you're providing to your customer. Right, because it, it then it leads you know you to being customer service, and there's not a platform with like a customer service team kind of like exactly intermediating between that and you know like we take a you know a ref, take a refund policy for example, like every outfitter has their own refund policy, so we don't have a standard refund policy. We're gonna be like okay, every outfitter has their own. You know, you're still gonna be able to do you know what you want with that and cancellations or things like that. You know, with with fishing is the weather weather cancellations and things like that, they come up so quickly that you really, you have to have, you have to plan for that. And, and you know, last minute bookings and the, the faster way to book. I mean, like it was an average of just seven days to, to book like outside of using a platform with us is like five, 10 minutes. I mean, it's kind of, it, it takes, you know, take the, it takes the time the is gone out of it. Yeah. And that, uh, the headache out of it, like that's the biggest thing is taking that headache out of planning from both the consumer and the outfitter side is now, like you said, it's okay. Oh, great. They've got a hunt open book done. There's Absolutely. no calling. Hey, what are you, what, what are you offering that day? <laughs> like they can look on the website and get all the information they want and also feel more educated that they're able to read and determine from their own knowledge and seeing of what they want to go do. Right. And then on the flip side, your social media side, I've been checking out like your, your pages and we were talking before the show, you are starting to ramp up video as an outfitter, if I've got the platform in which my services are listed saying, hey, we want to come out and start producing some content for you to show off not only on our social but our website, that to me is like a no-brainer. Where, where do I sign? <laughs> like, you're going to come out here with a crew and film and document yeah. what we're doing for a hunt, what we're doing for some fishing, and then you're going to post it on your social media. Then we're going to post it on our website, and now people can really see that experience before they even come out here. Because a lot of the hunters or a lot of the outfitters may not be so tech savvy. Yeah, they may also not be offering the experiences they're saying they're offering, which is why. You have you have you caught an outfitter saying they offered one thing? You don't have to name anybody. Oh, I'm not definitely not going to throw any names out there. But yeah, there are people where if we search your name in Facebook, we'll, we'll know if you're a, a reputable outfitter or not. Because people will say if you're not and, and they put it out there. So. Um, you know, we, we look into all of that. We make sure that, you know, the gap, people we're re reaching out to, we have a real relationship with them. And, you know, it takes that real relationship to make sure that we're educating them on how to use the platform and, and you know, how to get the most value out of Mallard Bay. So have you all had to turn people away? We have. We have. Was it, was it because of like a false experience or was it just they weren't ready to get on Not, board? We haven't turned anybody away or like kicked anybody off for providing a bad experience. That's um, good. It, it's more of us catching it beforehand. It's us being proactive in the situation. Do y'all require like one? You like y'all have to have a team go on one experience before they can come on? No. So we <laughs> we we actually will in the future have kind of like a, a a vetting process that it does involve someone going out and and seeing it for yourself. Like you know someone on our team, like a representative from Mallard Bay, going and to verify the experience. And then you know outfitters, the the way they pay for that is. You know, they get a premium outfitter label on Mallard Bay. We go out there. One person just goes out, experiences it, reports back. Hey, this is legit. Hey, this is not. And I mean, you know, the ones that don't want that, you know, could be a red flag. I don't know. I love that. So how did you, going back to the, the beginning, yeah. how do you like, outside of finding a co-founder, like how do you actually tangibly get something like this started? Yeah. So um, outside of finding a co-founder, it's really about putting all your ideas down in one place. Okay. Um, just a notebook 
anything, whether you, you know, you know about a business model canvas or, or anything like that. The most important thing is to just start writing your thoughts down because no matter how many ideas, I mean, I can't tell you how many ideas I've had that, you know, may have gone missing if I wouldn't have wrote them down. Um, you know, that sort of thing. I think that's a very, you know, just brass tacks step to, to starting your own business in general. Um, on the technology side of things, the easiest way to do it nowadays is look for a way to do it yourself. So, you know, don't think about, uh, you, you don't have to think about a co-founder yet. You don't have to think about anything yet. You, you want to make sure be like, Hey, is this something that I can legitimately do with a no code platform? Um, you know, just something that, you know, generates apps, uh, there's fluid UI, there's Figma, there's all these ways you can design a prototype to where once you go, this is a mistake that I made. Once you go to a developer, you, they already know, you, you already know what you want and you're not giving them, um, I say unambiguous, uh, or ambiguous, like examples of what you want, because then they have a lot of decision-making to make and they won't, engineers won't make decisions like that for you because it's your idea, right? Right. So it sounds like you speak from experience. Oh, that, 100%. In that front. You, so what did you, you went to the, the engineer and like, hey, I want Mallard Bay. <laughs> like, that's it. Is that what you gave him? Yeah. Probably didn't have the name at that point. I mean, maybe we did have the name, but. I want Airbnb for hunters. Yeah. Right. I mean, really, it was describing the experience of it. And it was easier for me because I'm like, hey, I want it to look and feel like Airbnb. Airbnb is right over there. You should look, you know, just look at that. <laughs> like, that's how I want it to work, but just with different information. And so, you know, that was a little easier for me. Um, but one of the one of the most important things is the UI, UX design, user experience. All of those things have to be like, you know, you got to talk to your users. You got to talk to people out there. Make sure you're building a product that people want and will pay for. If you're not building a product that people don't like people want and people pay for, like you're not building a business. You know, yeah. you, you, you got to have that portion of it. And it really takes a certain amount of research beforehand. So like you could jump into it, but you're going to learn really quickly of what well, you'll run not to real do. fast. Yeah. So what was your customer discovery phase like? Um, so actually my customer discovery phase kind of went on here at the Louisiana tech park, uh, Todd Lowry and, um, Steven, um, kind of played a big role in, you know, helping me to say, okay, these are the right questions you need to ask. These are, you know, these are how you do that. It really was a bunch of cold calling. Um, and, you know, like maybe a little. Just random outfitters or like customers as well? Sports. I mean, yeah, just customers as well. I mean, outfitters, of course, at first, because I had to realize like, okay, is this. Is it a, a problem? Is this a, yeah. Is this a supply side problem? It's a two-sided marketplace. So if, you know, once it's not a problem for one side, then it's hard to, to monetize, you know, both sides. So. Yeah. If one side's <laughs> like, no, nah, we're good. Don't worry about us. Yeah. Right. And, and so. That, that discovery effort was kind of something that helped me kind of grow and to know the market and the space. Like, you know, I knew a lot about hunting, but I didn't know a lot about the outfitting space. You know, I had been with outfitters before, but I didn't know like what it takes for a guide to like produce a good hunt. I didn't know these things and like what actually goes into the booking process, like how it works, you know, how do they take deposits, all that stuff. If I wouldn't have done those interviews, it, you know, you wouldn't have like Mallard Bay wouldn't be what it is now. Like yeah. we wouldn't be successfully doing, you know, trips and booking stuff with outfitters if you don't do that research up front. Well, and I think that is so important to anybody wanting to start a business is going through that customer discovery phase, that customer development phase. Who is your ideal customer? Who is your target audience? 
who actually wants your service or product. Like if not, if you just come up with this idea, this concept of, oh, I want to do X, Y, and Z, and you build it and you never have that time spent with potential customers, with potential vendors, you again, you like you said, you don't know if there's going to be a one-sided equation. You don't know if you're the only one that actually wants this. And if you do, and you are, and you get to the end of building this and you spend all this time and money, like there's nothing left to show for it except this product that nobody wants. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it happens so much. And it, the the easiest way for for that to not happen, like I said, is doing the research, but also continuing the research in your business and doing it over and over again. Make sure like, hey, this part of the experience is hitting the mark, this part is not hitting the mark, that sort of thing. And really kind of going back to just making sure the customers happy you know it really is all about that and if if that's not the case you got to look in your business and determine like hey what can we change but you know nothing's constant everything's changing and it's the business itself regardless of how old it is is always fluid i mean every single day a business should be reevaluating the services how it interacts with its customers its clients its vendors and make sure that it's offering and doing the best thing it possibly can i saw an older an older video about Amazon and Jeff Bezos and the interviewer went into his office and he has this table that's made out of a door and they're like why like Amazon is so big I mean this is early early yeah, early yeah, on yeah. like Amazon is like this growing massive company why are you in like a very small office with a door as a desk like a door sitting on four <laughs> on four four by fours like why is this your desk and he told him well because Amazon is a customer service company the price and the quality of my desk is not reflective of how we're interacting with our customers. Every dollar that we make and are available to spend to better customer experience, that's where it's being spent. So this desk with this door is a reminder of that mentality, making sure we put the customer first, the customer experience first. Yep. And everything that we do is for the customer with them at the center of it. And I think having that with your starting point from any business is where it needs to go. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and and also what I was kind of going to go earlier, almost lost my train of thought, but it, it's all about if you are solving a problem, like the best business to start is a, solving your own problem. Of course, you have to be able to make <laughs> money off of it, but yeah. like you want to solve a problem. Look at your internal problems. Yes. Yeah, if you really want to like think of a business idea, think of the stuff that pisses you off on a daily basis. I mean, like you really want to dig into that and be like, okay, is there a business I could build around that? Especially if it's going to make you like, happy that you're building a business and you're doing that for yourself, right? Yeah, I think making sure that the problem is there, whether you're the one experiencing it or people are constantly just using you as a rant wall of their problems that they're experiencing in this particular marketplace. But you're right. You also have to enjoy it is what you're doing, regardless of how much money it's making and regardless of how great of a problem you're solving. If you don't enjoy it, I mean – Entrepreneurship is not an easy <laughs> road to go down. Nope. It's also not a clock in and clock out road that you go down either. Nope. It is a every second of every waking day, you're either thinking about your business, working on your business, or doing something to better your business all the time. Mm -hmm. And sure, you've got those moments in time where you're able to shut your brain off and actually spend time with your family and just do nothing with your business at all. But not everybody's like that, and not every business allows you that flexible time to do that. So if you don't enjoy it, 
you will not be doing it for very long. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, just thinking about my experience with that is, you know, if you don't, if you want to start a business in an industry that you don't love, like you better love the game of business. <laughs> yeah. Like I love hunting. So like it makes it in, and you know, being outdoors in that. So it makes it really easy for me to, to work in this industry. And like, of course I started this business with the idea is like, if I could do something in an industry that's going to make, like help me like hunt every day of I, you know, every day of the season and, you know, have successful hunts and like know people and be connected in the industry. It's what I want to do. It's what I'm doing. Yeah. I love that. And you started <laughs> to build a team around that. How did you go about sourcing? You're up to what, four or six people full time now? Yeah. Four, it's four full time. Um, so there's, a couple ways in which, so we have two other co-founders other than Tam and I. Um, one of them, Joel Morrow, is kind of uh, our VP of finance and marketing. Um, he actually kind of just came up to me on a one-off after class one day and was just like, hey, so you're working on this Mallard Bay thing. Like, you know, I did this thing kind of over the summer, like started my own business. Like, you know, it wasn't like super successful, but it was, you know, it was something that he started himself and like, I could see it in him like he wanted to do something like that. So we just started like working every day after class, like just on different Mallard Bay stuff, anything I needed help with. We actually entered the pitch competition um, at LSU, the uh, Venture Challenge, the Terrell. Yeah, the Venture Terrell Challenge. Yeah, yeah. Venture Challenge. And, um, oh, that's so, right. That is named after somebody mm -hmm, now. Mm -hmm, yeah. <laughs> and uh, we placed third. So that was excellent. A great experience. Who'd you lose out to? Uh, there was Split Culture and Dettel. Um, okay. one, one was a, uh, a, basically like a debt relief platform for like hospitals and stuff like that. And then one was like a patented, like new way she the one, she's the one that won, but like a patented Petri dish. Interesting. Anywho, you got yeah. third. Good competition. Yeah. Great competition. Yeah. I mean that, and the venture challenge, I think that what LSU does and their involvement with it is really incredible. And I think it's nice to see that avenue for students to go down if they have a business idea that they want to take to light and get some pitching experience. And also, I think it's what, how much money is up to now? Last year, it was 25 and then another 25 as a convertible note, which is a little different. Right. Um, so you so get 25,000 to split 50. up. Yeah. Between, got, between the three people. Yeah, we got 3,000 out of that. Yeah, but I mean, it's um, still also, it's a proof of concept, right? Yeah. And you also get to pitch it in front of a bunch of people and you get to network and meet other people there. Absolutely. So you did the pitch competition. Yeah, yeah so we did the pitch competition. Um, kind of, before that, one of my great friends growing up, Wyatt Mallet, he's always been a, a talker, you know, kind of fits the role of sales um, as I kind of imagined it. Um, started talking with him, you know, brought him onto the team like, hey, you know, we're going to do this. We've been friends, you know, our whole life. Let's kind of, you know, focus on this. You're still in school. Um, I'm about, about to get out of school. You know, I'm going to be doing this full time. Like, you know, I'd like you to be a part of the team. And so Wyatt's been great leading our sales team you know, really finding people that, you know, fit who we want to, like, be as a as a company, um, like how we want to perceive ourselves or our outfitters, you know, really taking that message and, and putting it out there. Yeah. And so how is the balancing act going between running your startup and LSU? <laughs> well, so to start it, you know, I started Mallard Bay in my junior year. And also what started at the exact same time was COVID. So Okay, so a little bit more time is allotted. Yeah, so, you know, it, everything went virtual, and so I was able to spend the time that I wanted to, um, and, you know, it was still different because 
no one knew how to work virtually at that point. So it was all new, you know, it's all new communication, you know, it's tons of, of trial and error and just like, you know, getting on calls that may not, you know, produce anything, but like you really just learn over time how to run the business remotely. And so once we went back to in-person, we realized how much value in-person really brings. Um, and so kind of going back to my whole senior year. So I graduated in May and with in finance. And so that was a huge point for me where I was like, okay, now I can go out and raise capital because I'm full-time in the business. We go out and raise money. Um, you know, we have the connections to do so. We, we have the business to do so. And so that's what we did. We, you know, I graduated in May and we went out and raised money and, and, you know, now we're looking to do it again. So what was that experience like, the, the capital raise? It was a very um, humbling experience. Like, you, you really understand what people are looking for in your business. Um, you know, I have a, a great advantage um, in, you know, who, who my dad is and, and the connections that he built and, you know, bringing value to his investors at Waiter. And so, you know, I was able to kind of piggyback off that a little bit. But, you know, there's other investors that, you know, we came up with our own connections of people who, who, you know, we knew who may be interested in the industry, may want to invest. And, and so, you know, it's, it's always like stressful. You want to get the round closed and everything like that. But we, you know, we're never worried because we knew we built a strong business. Right. You knew the business model was there that people wanted and it's interesting enough and intriguing enough to invest in. Absolutely. So you said you went, you're, you're about to do this again. You're about to raise a little bit more capital in the near future. Yes. Yes, we are. Okay. So what, for, for people that may not be aware of multiple round raising and the reasons mm -hmm. for doing so, can you kind of walk us through that? Yeah. So, you know, in a, in a technology business, you know, it, it takes a significant amount of funds to run the business while the business is not generating money. Now we are generating money. You take a seed investment, which is what we got in our first round, you know, upwards of $300,000. And a seed investment, just like an initial investment, there's no special terms with it? Yeah. So, well, it's, pr it's a priced round. So you sell the equity. So you sell a, a certain percentage of the company for a certain amount of equity for these investors. They put their money in. And really, you sign a term sheet and, you know, you send them whatever information they need and then they just wire, wire the money to you. And then you're like, wow, I'm responsible for this, you know, this money. And, yeah. and, you know, we have to use this money to grow the company. We have to put this and allocate, you know, budget wise, you know, to everything that we need as a company. So kind of where, where it goes from there is, is you have a plan before you even ask for the money. Yeah, you, you got you to tell them because they're always going to ask that question. Well, why do you need the money? Yes, exactly. So you have to know where you're going to spend the money and you have to know exactly what you can acquire customers for. That's really what we're moving into now with this new round and compared to what it was with, you know, when you do have very little traction, um, which is what we had like before. There was no real sportsman booking on the platform. We had outfitters, but, you know, we were just getting commitments from them. They were soft commitments. And, you know, we really moved to the phase where, now we've launched. Now we have sportsman booking. We have people having good experiences. We have people, you know, asking to, you know, be a part of Mallard Bay team wise. You know, we have, you know, a lot of things going for us. And then you, you look back and you're like, okay, well, we had this money. We knew it was going to last a certain amount of time. Okay. So last a certain amount of time. How, how close was it to your predictions? Uh, pretty much spot on. Pretty oh, much very impressive. Yeah, pretty much spot on. And um, we, we knew we were going to have about 12 months of runway. 
um, with what we raised. And so now we're kind of approaching on that within the next couple months. So we're, we're starting a new raise, which will be a, a much different raise for us. Uh, so what's, this, what's this next raise for? Now that you have that traction, you've got those customers, you've got those outfitters on, on your platform, what's the next raise for? Team. Um, a, a lot of team and technology development, um, basically making sure that we can have, you know, everybody on our team that is, you know, whether it's in the technology department or in the marketing department, really focused on the right things um, and making sure that, okay, hey, we're, we're going to be investing in this much marketing dollars to spend because we know we can acquire a customer for X amount and we know we can acquire a sportsman for X amount. This is what they've spent thus far. This is how much money we have, like booking wise. Um, and so you kind of like go from there. Work, you have to work backwards to what you need. Like, so you budget everything out and, and you have that long-term plan. Like, hey, this is our next 24 months. And then you're like, okay, this is how much money I need to get to that point. Right. How do we get to that next level? So how is the, like you, we, you said beforehand, y'all are, are basically pre-revenue going to that first ask. Are y'all at a revenue stage where y'all have money coming in? Obviously, y'all are burning it quicker than y'all are getting it. Mm -hmm. But y'all are at least at a point where you're starting to not necessarily get over that hump, but are you already starting to see like the top of the hill? Yes. So we, we haven't seen the top of the hill in terms of profitability because, you know, it, it, at a startup, you're going to you know burn a, a lot more than you're making at first. Right. But we have seen the top of the hill in terms of like traction that meet that like meaningful traction. You know, people that find us completely randomly and are like, hey, I'm, I'm booking a trip and they book a trip and then they, they go tell their friends and they're like, hey, I just booked a trip on Mallory Bay. It was super easy. And they go book like that's a that's a tipping point that we reached between you know, November and December in which we started to grow our, our bookings, which was like real actual people booking on the app, which, you know, at one point, our web app, I say, at one point I was like, I really was nervous that this wasn't going to work out. Like, I'm like, you know, hey, is this really going to work There's nobody out? coming to the site. <laughs> yeah, like, right. Is this really going to work out? Is Are we doing enough? And, you know, so once you do that and you get to that point, it, one, makes it a lot easier to, to raise money. Um, and you know, you know that you're building a business that is sustainable. Right. And you know, the, your proof of concept you envision in your head is actually coming to life yep. and people are seeing your vision and your idea and executing on it in a way that just fulfills everything you thought it would be. So Absolutely. what, what is the, the strangest way someone has told you they found out about you? <sighs> strangest way someone... Or like a way you never thought anybody would find you. Well, so I'll just tell a story. So we have a, a we actually put our own property on on Mallard Bay as a as a guide service in Gaydon, Louisiana. Piro okay. Hunting and Fishing Lodge is our outfitter that we run out there, and one of our uh, one of our guide, our resident guide John, um, what I call him, and he his wife actually texted him and said. Hey, you should be interested in this site, Mallard Bay. She knew about Mallard Bay. One, one of her friends had sent it to her. And I was just like, and, and he was like, yeah, like we've talked about Mallard Bay like several times. I, I know all about Mallard Bay. It's Logan's company. She was like, oh, what? Really? Like, and I was just like. Uh, that, <laughs> so it made full circle at that point. Yeah. I mean, it was like, wow. I mean, like it's really out there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's when you, when you have your brand get to that point, it's like a, 
it's like a, a quick like rush on the inside. Like, oh, people know who I am. <laughs> people know my company. They know what we're about. Yeah. It's exciting. And it may just be one person, like one random person will come up to you and say, hey, aren't you with such and such brand? Or, hey, I saw you in the business report or saw you in 225 or wherever. You know, have you ever had like that moment of not necessarily this aha, like we've made it, but this like, okay, it's starting to work. <laughs> it's very surreal. Um, and, and yes, I, I'd say I've, I've started to have that moment and, you know, we, we've had some success and some exposure, but, you know, compared to like the grand scheme of things, like, you know, we're not where we want to be as a company. Like we want to be bigger, more successful. We want to have, you know, a lot of people using Mallory Bay and on, on the internal side of things, you know, we have to make sure that we can scale and grow with the demand for a service like ours. It goes back to that team building. Yep, Absolutely making sure that the team that you build with the second raise is going to be able to fulfill all of the promises that you're making. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, that's 100% of the, the equation. And then, you know, it, it, like I said earlier, when we were talking off, off, offline, it's, it's not how it's who it's like, who we are going to be the next people to, you know, and I, that's also one thing, you know, I like about our business is like, I'm very much, if you work for me, you're going to be empowered to like come up with something that is your own idea and have the chance to take it to fruition from, you know, idea to like implementing it in real life. And, but the thing is, it's all up to you with help from your team to like mark that, like to figure that out yourself. Like, you know, having entrepreneur minded people in your business, um, even if they aren't technically owners of the business. Yeah. Having that entrepreneurial mindset yes. that within an organization thinking like an owner, but not necessarily thinking of like, <clears throat> well, I have, to, I have to do it as from an owner's point of view, but what do I want to achieve that's not written plainly in front of me as a task, right? Mm -hmm. What do I want to look at and say, okay, I've been asked to do X, Y, and Z, but I kind of want to take this up a notch, you know, just for my own sake. I want to take this up and go beyond what this task is. Instead of checking off this box, I want to get a little more creative than this. And I think managers and owners and founders that have that mindset of, hey, here are the, here's the sandbox that we're playing in. You can play whatever game <laughs> you want to play so long as it's within this sandbox. And within this set of parameters, the jobs that have to get done are X, Y, and Z. How we get there is whatever you can create and craft in your head or within yourself and if, look, if there's a different sandbox that you think is going to be a good addition to our box, we're open to growing and pivoting and changing a little bit. And it's not so much of locking them down, right? For your team, it's more of figuring out and getting them to determine from within what they want to do, how they can do it, and really getting that self-expression in their own work. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, and I kind of like to, to think about that and bring it back to my experience at Waiter you know, starting as a delivery driver at 16, like replacing my dad as a delivery driver <laughs> at 16 and, and working in that business and getting to the point where, you know, I went back to work for, I did customer service, which was really fun. You know, um, people are really like their food. I'll tell you that. And They're if they don't get it on particular time, particular about yeah, their food, yes, especially exactly. with a company starting in the South. Yes, exactly. And, you know, we, we did, there was no love lost there for people in Waiter at the very beginning when Waiter was growing ex exponentially and we couldn't keep up. I mean, there was a point in which I was a dashboard manager and like 
you really just are at a loss of words of how much growth the company's experiencing, but how much chaos that creates in the business and on a daily, nightly basis. I mean, if it rained, God, God forbid. Like it was, it was crazy. Yes. Oh, I guess it makes sense to see spikes and rain. Yeah. Storms. Oh, it's it's nobody huge. wants to get out. Yeah, no one wants to get out, and and drivers, you know, that no one wants to go to work either. Like you know, it's harder to get drivers to go on shift because it's raining. It's you know, you, no one works, wants to work in the rain. And then you know, then I go back to work at waiter as like a finance intern, and I kind of had the opportunity that you know not a lot of people have is is to hey let's look at the business and like you find what you want to work on. And so I was kind of empowered to do that. And, you know, the project that I came up with was, you know, hey, how can we make our drivers happier? I see that, you know, this is an important part of the business. You know, let's come up with an experiment, different things like that to to really help the operations of the business when really, you know, my internship was in finance of the business. But I go straight to the operations side of things. So that was kind of my first key that maybe I was interested in operating a business was like, hey, I'm going to look at where maybe there's some weak points in Waiter as a business, you know, and I'm, I guess I was 20 or 19 at this point. So I was already starting to think about it um, at that age. And it, you know, from there, Mallard Bay kind of just came about off the chance of, hey, I want to do something that I love. Right. And you had that experience of working within a startup that you knew what it took to make it successful. You knew that even now, Mallard Bay is still so far in its infancy that there's so much further it has to go. Patience. Pa- patience <laughs> and just keeping your head down. I, I had a past guest on the show told me a, a saying. He's like, look, Patrick, keep your head down for five years. Pick your head up, take a look around, see where you're at, and then get it right back down. Like, if you really want to do what you want to get done, and get it to the point of where you say you want to get it, that's what it's going to take. It's going to take that determination and that grit of keeping that head down and focusing in on your craft and what you're building for years to get it done. You know, the best overnight success is 10 years in the making. There's no such thing as you flip a light switch and the business is successful. Mm -hmm. It takes time, dedication, and effort all along the way to make it possible. And I'm very excited to see where Mallard Bay is going to go over these next few years. And as we start to wind down the show, we have a set list of questions we like to ask every guest. Yeah. And the first one is, what are three lessons you've learned along the way? You've got background in Waiter. You've got background in Mallard Bay. You're a recent college graduate. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's been happening in your life over the last few years. And what are kind of three lessons you've gathered throughout that so three lessons that i've gathered throughout all my experience in business well the first thing i mentioned earlier and number one patience i mean if you can't have the perspective of being like hey there's still time like yes you have to have a sense of urgency but you got to have that sense of time like hey you know I can still do this just because I'm like, you know, this age, I don't have to be in this place, that sort of thing. Um, Two would be, you know, focusing on yourself, like just regular self-care, that sort of thing. Like, you know, even I still struggle with that, like making sure that I'm not only taking care of the business, but I'm taking care of myself, which then in turn takes care of the business. Um, And then 
Uh, number three would be uh, listen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> not not necessarily the third in importance, right. but that listening to people and in, in, in but you know knowing when to put the earmuffs on, right? Like mm-hmm. knowing when you know it's not exactly um, what you want to hear, but you need to hear it. Yeah, and knowing when to stop talking, yeah. right? No, knowing when, all right, I've said enough. I just need to take in what everybody else is going to respond to. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Good or bad. Because <laughs> there will be bad. There will be lots of of negativity thrown in whatever direction it may be from outfitters saying, oh, man, this is never going to work. It's a <laughs> joke. It's garbage. To sportsmen coming in and saying, this was terrible. Worst experience of my life. It's going to happen. In yeah. any business, there's going to be some negative feedback. So... The next question is, what is something you did as a kid you wish you could still do today? Ooh, that's a good question. Something I did as a kid that I wish I could still do today. Hmm. Play a lot of Call of Duty. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, yeah, that's the, a funny the, one. the stress-free but, uh, times, right? Yeah, yeah. No, and, um, you know, that that's just a funny answer to that, but yeah. No, I I, I, I get it though, but it's it re, it's a reminder of a simpler time in life. Or right? I could play football. I would like to play some pee wee football, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the good times. Oh yeah, the good times. So, what is something you love about Baton Rouge slash Louisiana? Something I love about Baton Rouge, in you know, in particular, just the overall kind of atmosphere, like the pride that you know, if you went to school here or you, you, you graduated from here, maybe you left or stayed, whatever it is, is that, you know, you have a sense of community with everybody else. Um, and that's in the, the business world and, and, you know, and the school, you know, LSU, just LSU pride, like that sort of thing. Like, I think that that is something that sets, you know, Baton Rouge apart from others. But, you know, I think that it can always be improved. And I know that this show is all about improving the community around entrepreneurship and, and everything like that. And I think that this, you know, these type of things play a big role in that. Yeah, getting people to feel so powerful about their community and what they love about it and then putting it out on blast for everybody else to see. Yep, absolutely. So for the final question, what can I do to help? Oh, and well, you could shout out our answer now. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we, At I, Mallard Bay underscore. We, I, I'd, I'd love to talk about doing a sponsorship with the podcast. I mean, I, I really I really do think that would that would help. And also, if you know any outfitters or people personally that you know want to book a trip or you want to book a trip you want to go on a trip next year like that's that's what we can do we can help with that i think we can work something out yeah absolutely yeah we'll yeah. Ch- we'll, ch- we'll chat we'll make some the content show. out of it and everything it'd be oh, good dude i love making content man i'm all about it yeah. bring a camera You're pretty good at bring it. a camera with me everywhere i go like and then we dissect it oh get all that's that's my that's my geek moments right geek absolutely. out on how to create that content well logan man thank you so much for coming on the show i appreciate your time and i appreciate your your story and what you're doing so far. I love that we got to get Mallard Bay at what really is, it's still its infancy, right? You know, where it's not a toddler where it's walking yet. <laughs> y'all are still learning how to crawl, but yep. y'all are crawling aggressively and attacking with every elbow and knee along the way. So thank you so much, man, for coming on the show. I really appreciate right. your time. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Thank you, Absolutely. everybody, for listening. And thank everybody else for watching the show, whether you're tuning into it live or you're listening to us after the fact. I really appreciate you as a listener and as an avid 
enjoyer of the show. Um, I know the guests do as well. And a big thank you to our lovely sponsors that make this possible, Falaya Focus Studio. Y'all, if you're looking for a podcast studio and you want to record something, this is the place to be. They're in Louisiana Technology Park right off of Florida by, by Lobdell. They take it up to a whole different level. It is truly incredible what I've seen thus far. And also, right down the street from them is Government Taco, our friends over there. For February, they have a taco of the month. It's a dessert taco of the month. It's called the Poncha Train. I have yet to get over there, but I will because I've seen pictures of this, and Jay has described it to me. It is delicious, and I'm looking forward to having it. And also, Horizon Financial Group, we're going to listen to a little bit of a message from them after the show, and I want to thank you all so very much for tuning in. I am Patty G here with Logan Moe of Mallard Bay. Y'all have a good one. Hey, y'all. Thank you all so very much for listening to this episode of The Patty G Show. This episode is brought to you by Horizon Financial Group. They are a wealth planning, investment management, retirement plan company. They are really your guide for your financial journey. Horizon Financial Group is going to be that for you when it comes to retirement planning, when it comes to investment management, and also wealth planning. Be sure and reach out to them. They're a local company here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm excited to have them on as a, as a partner of this show. Thank you all.